Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to a beautiful podcast. I'm your host, Spring Developer Advocate Josh Long, and this show is all about the real heroes behind Spring and its ecosystem. How are you this 23rd November 2023? I can't believe it. It's 23 11 23. It is also uh, just one heck of a day in one heck of a week. I cannot even tell you where to be. I don't even know where to begin. First of all, uh, you might have read, uh, I'm on the Spring team. Spring team uh, for years has been part of VMware, and um, VMware is now a division or a part of or whatever. It's owned by Broadcom. So that just happened. That took uh, more than a month and less than a million years. Uh, we're now part of Broadcom. I don't know um, if you've heard about that, but it's just very, very exciting. Um, what else is exciting? Well, today is the 23rd of November. It's the third Thursday of November 2023. Uh, and so, of course, that's Thanksgiving here in the U.S. It's a day on which we Americans are reminded uh, to be grateful, to be thankful, to take stock in what we've got and uh, find reasons to be appreciative of that, among other things. And uh, I'm always, always grateful for you, my dear community, uh, and for the ecosystem that we live in and the opportunity that lies before us. Um, and I'm also particularly especially uh, grateful this this day. There's also a new Spring Boot 3.2 release that just dropped. Well, it'll have dropped uh, by the end of the day, right? Uh, as I record this, it's not out just yet. I just released a Spring Tips video, uh, uh, sort of a dense look at all things Spring Boot 3.2. Check that out on the usual place, right? So bit.ly forward slash spring dash tips dash playlist, or just go to youtube.com spring source dev, uh, you know, at spring source dev. Um, and then look for the Spring Tips videos. You'll find that newest installment with everything you want to know about 3.2 right there for you, for your own reference. Uh, friends, today is just a, it's just been one, I mean, one week. I, I cannot even tell you, I cannot believe it's only been one week, but it really has. It's just been one <laughs> endless week uh, after another. One, you know, really, really amazing week after another. So today I wanted something really good to listen to, uh, and so we're going to listen to a discussion I just had recently with Bruno Luogi. He's a uh, one of the Belgian legends, uh, uh, who, uh, in, in his case, his uh, contribution to the legends uh, is that he created iText, which is by far the most prolific library for manipulating and working with uh, PDF uh, in the. JVM space, arguably, I mean, I don't know, I mean, maybe there's, I don't know that there's anything that has more users, uh, uh, you know, across all the different languages. Uh, there are tools, certainly, uh, like Adobe Acrobat, you can obviously be sure that more people have that, but if you're trying to automate uh, working with PDFs, I can't think of anything better, um, and this is just, it's been that way for 20 years, it's been around forever, uh, and it's just, a, it's an institution now, and so I'm really glad we get to have this conversation, Bruno and I. Um, 
uh, it's just a very interesting conversation with somebody who has been in the industry, who has uh, taken a small open source project uh, born of research and turned it into a very, very successful business. Uh, and then, you know, it's his journey. It's the journey of iText. It's uh, just a very cool conversation with one of the legends about whom I had heard a ton, even when I first started coming uh, coming up in this industry. Uh, he was already out there doing amazing things. So really great discussion, truly great. Uh, if you want to learn about what it is to be a, a founder as well as um, an engineer working in something highly technical, uh, then trust me, you want to you want to hear from Bruno. Uh, there are very few, very few people who can speak uh, with uh, the same experience and uh, and earnestness as Bruno on the topics on which we touch uh, uh, in this episode. So my friends, first of all, happy Thanksgiving. I appreciate you, and I'm sure I speak for the entire Spring team when I say that. Uh, and second of all, enjoy the episode, and uh, as always, I'll see you next week. Afternoon. Hello. Hello. <laughs> hi. Um. Hi, everybody. Uh, uh, good to see you all again. It's been a minute. I've been uh, been busy, and then I've been sick. So that's fun. Um. Wow. Look at this. We're we're here today. It's uh. It's I don't know. What is it? Nine in the, nine in the morning here. Hi, everybody. Oh, look, Simon. So, so Bruno meet Simon. Simon meet Bruno. You probably already met. Uh, I don't know. It's a small world over there in Belgium. Um. Uh, Simon is, of course, one of the good eggs uh, in the ecosystem, and uh, just glad he's here. So, anyway, my friends, um, yeah, wow, what is, what a, it is a second November. I'm I've been trying to talk to you, Bruno, for more than a month. Uh, <laughs> this conversation has been uh, fairly fairly uh, roundabout, right? I I actually reached out to you originally. Uh, because I wanted to talk to somebody. I, I, I knew already that you weren't still with iText, uh, the organization, uh, but you were nice enough to point me in the right direction because I wanted to help contribute some hints to support native images, right? Um, and uh, you connected me with uh, some folks, some really nice folks on the iText team, and uh, and we did it. We actually, uh, as far as I know, that stuff has been, we developed it and it works, so I don't know if it's been in interest yet, but It'll get there. The power of open source, right? <laughs> um, and then, coincident with that, I was also uh, poking you, hoping you would uh, reluctantly agree to an interview with uh, uh, with me. You're not, uh, so you're not alone. I think uh, so. Let me see. There's somebody. There's some questions here. Why am I alone here? I don't think you're alone, buddy. Just join us on YouTube. It's fine. The water's fine. Um, there's so people are watching us from different platforms including Twitch and then YouTube and uh, whatever. I don't know, Twitter, LinkedIn. So thanks to everybody who's joining us. So anyway, I reached out to you. Uh, <laughs> right back at you. So um, so yeah, like uh, we, I reached out to you and I was hoping you'd join me for this for a discussion because you're a, like a, a legend, you know, a freaking um, deity in the Java ecosystem. And before the show, I was talking to you about just what it meant um, to come up in the Java ecosystem in the last 20 plus odd years, uh, which is where I, you know, my first pro professional work was in 2002. I was doing small stuff, but my first full-time job in Java was 2002. Um, 
And uh, it's just a, a rare privilege. I mean, I, I, I text and the technology you created has been a part of that discussion for as long as I can remember, you know, um, and I'm sure that's true for a lot of people. So can you introduce yourself uh, so that I don't screw it up uh, and then we'll get into it? <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm Bruno Loaji. Uh, I'm born in Belgium. I had my first computer in 1982. It was a Texas Instruments 99.4A home computer. So my first programming language is language wasn't java but texas instruments basic <laughs> nice. uh, and um i didn't study computer sciences uh i kind of i i wrote like a database system when i was 14 and a, and a word processing software at, at 15 something like that or vice versa but uh, by the time i was 16 i was fed up with computers and i started painting oil on canvas <laughs> but uh, I, I wanted to study study painting or arts but my parents said well you should do the admission uh, exam for the civil engineering and so I, I did what my parents asked and then I passed for the first uh, from the first try and then they said well you passed your exam uh, why won't why wouldn't you uh, start studying civil engineering so uh, actually right. I'm, I'm a civil engineer in architecture so uh, designing buildings, not software. But then, uh, <laughs> when I when I graduated, uh, I returned to my first love, to programming. And well, I changed jobs three times in the first two years. Uh, but then, in '98, I uh, was hired by Ghent University, um, and that's where I started writing my PDF library. And and uh, actually, in one of my previous jobs, uh, that was like uh, giving training to uh, the new the new hires and right. uh, and and so that was in 96 and uh, that was when i asked my employer hey if i give a two-week course on java uh, how much time do i get to study it and they gave me three weeks time to to read the book if you have the manual expert <laughs> and so i i i i gave my first Java lessons in 96 to a group of people where we kind of uh, programmed uh, a network connect for so you had the service right. server socket and two client sockets and then one at a time you had to kind of make a move and and that was the first uh, one of the first Java applications that I made connect after two weeks yeah <laughs> isn't that amazing like that's the power of Java if you knew anything else then it was yeah. very natural for people to get up and running I with think Java. Was version 1.0.2, so it was kind of, yeah, it, oh. could it could still learn it in two weeks. <laughs> and, and I'll bet you that code, if you, were, if you were to unearth it today, would probably still run on Java 21 or 22, you yeah, know? Yeah, maybe um, it would. It, it was very simple code, just a server socket listening and client sockets yeah. connecting to it. And <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's, it's really portable. I love uh, I love Java for that. Um, I am looking for this. So okay, so you you had this code. Uh, you had two weeks to learn a thing, and then you did a training course, and that was 1996. So again, 20 uh, what is it? 27 years ago? I mean, my goodness, the Java the history of Java is only 20. Eight, 29 yeah, years it, so. it, it's uh, java it's this from 1995 so uh but we were close to sun microsystems so uh, that, that was one of the so my employer was in uh, zaventem and sun microsystems was in dhem and so uh, yeah we got like early access to to stuff ah uh, sun microsystems well, the, the, the the belgian subsidiary of sun microsystems right 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 <laughs> uh 
Okay, so you, uh, so that's interesting. You were you were working in other languages. You learned Java, um, and you did it. You did the training. So the training was a means to get allowed to to get permission to go to the thing, right? Yeah, so I gave courses in C++ and, and other languages but, and, and SQL and stuff like that. And I saw this new language, Java, and I really wanted to kind of get time to learn that language. And the only way to get that time was to, to kind of uh, ask, can I give a, a two-week oh, course in Java? <laughs> this was resume-driven resume development. I see what's happening. So they were, <laughs> the training so I, version I, of that. I, I, didn't, I didn't know Java would become as big as it is today so it was oh it's, it's huge it's huge and it's it's kind of interesting where like i just mentioned i just the original reason i reached out to you was because i wanted to help bring I, I wanted to do a very very little just the tiniest bit of work uh literally a few hours just to add some things to itex so that it could do native images so now you can render a pdf uh using itext and there's native image support uh, in in ten milliseconds, the whole program starts up, renders, and it quits in ten milliseconds. You know, like and takes up whatever five megabytes of RAM or something. You know, like that's still the same code, still the same Java code you wrote <laughs> decades ago. It's just now much faster. You know, um, it's just an amazing language, just an amazing ecosystem we get to be in. Um, okay, so why stay with Java? You learned it. Did you start doing consulting with it? Is it like or or training with it? And people were um, so <laughs> when I was hired for for Kent University, uh, the the ad said like uh, you have to learn Perl and uh, all the development has to be done in Perl. Uh, but I succeeded in convincing uh, my employer that we need a Java because making a server side application in Perl. I mean, that's that's <laughs> not really future proof. Well, nope. back then, I, I know back then they they really loved Perl at the university. But uh, yeah. I I managed. So I I remember that uh, when we started the application JSurf, the 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 the, uh, applet, the, the, uh, the server serv, the, servlet right. server was still in beta. Uh, so and by the time we by the time the the application that I wrote was discontinued, uh, JSurf was was end of life. So uh, that that was like that that was the good that was a very good choice we made. So the application we had to write was um, I and another colleague who were hired from the private sector had to rewrite all the software for the student administration. So uh, professors entering grades, uh, administrators. Calculating the final grade, looking right. if, uh, if there are sufficient credits, uh, printing diplomas and stuff. Uh, previously, that was a Clipper program uh, on a diskette. So every professor would get a diskette with the program on it and with an extraction of the student database. And so they would take examinations and then put the grades on a diskette and then hand in the diskette. And then the, 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 the grades were extracted from the diskette into the main database. But um, <laughs> of course, uh, when, when professors had like 500 students, that, those are different diskettes. And sometimes a student had two different grades on different diskettes or a student didn't have a grade, didn't he go to the exam? And then the application in Clipper, it changed multiple times a day, but then there were professors who had like the version of last week, but the data structure had changed. So, so that was a complete mess. Uh, and, and I was hired to, to, to kind of 
make to solve that problem. And so together with my colleague, we made an intranet application. So with right. serve as, as the application server and uh, people could log in and have access to, to the, the courses that they were teaching, to the students who were following those courses, to the, to the, the grades that they had given. And uh, one of the things that I had to solve was back when it was still on a diskette, professors could print lists with students on an HP printer. It couldn't be a network printer. The printer had to be attached to the, to the computer and it could right. only be an H, HP printer. So I, I had convinced my employer, we, have, we, don't, we shouldn't use Perl, we should use Java. But then I made another promise. I said, well, we're 1998. Um, <laughs> uh -oh. PDF exists since 93, Java exists, exists since 95. There should be some software around to write PDF documents. And so I said, well, forget about printing uh, lists on, a, on an HP printer. I'm going to give you PDFs, so online generated PDF. Oh. And little did I know that PDF, <laughs> PDF back then was mainly something of the desktop. So people used Illustrator or they created the document in Word and then they hit the button and then a PDF was created. What I needed was PDFs that were created on the fly in an intranet application. So you have a database with uh, a student, all the, his curriculum and then all the grades that he has. And, and, and at the end of the year, so back then we had, the Hunt University had about 23,000 students. So you, could, you, ha you would have to be able to push on a button and then have a 23,000 page PDF with, with every page would be like a report card for a, for a student. And so uh, I, I, look, I really looked for a Java library and there were two. A PDF that was a guy, Peter Mount, uh, who had written something where uh, if you know Graphics 2D, it was very similar to Graphics 2D. So you would create- You mean Java page, art. The Java Graphics 2D. So yeah. you, you would put things on a page, but that, was pretty helpful for me. And then there was something called PJ uh, from Itimon. But um, what I really needed was something that was fast and that could render tables in an, in an intuitive way. So uh, right. all, all, all those lists with students and grades and, and, and courses that, that were all, all tables. So I needed something that, that was specialized in, in tables. And the first oh, library data. I wrote... Uh, the, so it was like uh, publishing data from a from a database, student data. Mail merge, uh, something like that. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and so the, I I didn't find a, a suitable library, so I had to write one myself. And I remember in the Christmas holidays of uh, 1998, I I read the PDF uh, reference, and that was like about 600 pages back then. So that. Yeah. Today it's much more, and uh, <laughs> and I wrote my first library in six weeks' times, and I really hated PDF because it, it was <laughs> it, it it wasn't like any programming languages that I knew. But of course, uh, afterwards I realized, oh, PDF isn't a programming language; it's a document format, and right. and so I had to maintain my own first library. It was called. RUG PDF, RUG was the former abbreviation of Kent University. So, uh, oh. University of Kent. And um, <laughs> there were some people who used it, so I put it online immediately because that was what we Source did. Sourceforge? Uh, I don't know. It wasn't Sourceforge yet. I think I, I, I joined Sourceforge in the year 2000, so I was late. Uh, but it was just on a university, uh, on a university server. 
Um, so uh, I put the, co the code out, uh, out, but I had to maintain my own source code for two years. I was the only one who understood the code. And, and so right. I really hated that because if someone needed to kind of, they said, well, let's move this like half an inch to the right. And then I had to do all this coding. And I said, well, this is, this is terrible. And, and after two years of maintaining my own really shitty library, I said, but no, I understand why I hated PDF. I hated PDF because I didn't understand PDF. So <laughs> I, I should throw away my code and, and start from scratch. And I asked my employer, uh, can I have time to, to kind of uh, rewrite everything? And they said, but we have something that works. Why would you rewrite that? If, it, if it's not broken, why fix it? But yeah, then again, then again, then again uh, I had uh, to finish that project in time. I didn't. I, I had not taken any vacation days, and in 2000, I had like uh, I don't know uh, 20 vacation days that I, I had to take them all before the month of April, or or else I would lose my vacation days. Gee. And so I said, well, I said, well, if 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 I can't uh, rewrite the PDF library during office hours, I, I will take my vacation and I will write. So in January and February, I wrote the first version of uh, iText in January, February of the year 2000, and uh, I released, well, it was version 0 0.3. Uh, on, that was the first public release of iText uh, on Valentine's Day uh, in, in the year 2000. So of my, wow. my, my, my wife often gets the question if I say, well, the first iText release was on Valentine's Day. My wife always gets like the, the pity, like, uh, <laughs> is, is that what your husband was doing on Valentine's Day? Oh, God. Oh, that's so sad, but also good for the world, but not so good for and, the uh, so, significant other. So uh, once iText was, so the, the, the main difference between my first library and iText was that to use iText, you didn't have to know anything about the PDF uh, specification. So I, I, I added this abstraction layer of all these higher level objects Back then, it was called chunk. Now it's text and paragraph and, and a table class with cell uh, elements. And so you could just say, I create a table, I add cells, and then the table would be, get populated, and then it would be rendered. And, so this uh, is, what you're describing is incredibly difficult because the, the, post, the PDF itself gives you the, it, it, it supports this, but you're, you're basically rend you're designing a rendering engine. And it and you don't even get control over the final output. You have to like render in, in a certain way so that something else will do the right thing, you know, so that the PDF viewer ultimately will. Yeah, correct. you have you have to position every element that you're add, adding to the to the document. You have to kind of position it at exact uh, coordinates and 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 distribute text automatically. So that was that was the the main challenge to yeah. add this abstraction layer so that people would not be annoyed with uh, uh, move to the next line. Uh, no, we need like uh, uh, space between, like space between words has to be that amount yeah. versus space between characters and stuff like that. So uh, you so, could do this with iText, but, but if you didn't want to get confronted with that kind of code, you didn't have to. This kind of stuff, so I, all right, let's come at it just ever so briefly to talk about sort of the other side of it, which is what, what, what is PDF? Why is PDF, you know, and um, uh, PDF, 
to my memory, to my recollection, came out in the early 90s. And you said 93, that sounds about right. And uh, the idea was it was a, a container around PostScript, which in turn was a rendering uh, technology yeah. for printers in the, in the 80s. And it allowed you to write you want graphics code that would be the exact same code that you'd write and render for your printer. So you could take the same, it used to be that, like you said, the HP used to be every printer had its own rendering yep. technology. And, um, and so PostScript was a programming language. So if, for instance, you had a, a 200 page document and you needed page 100, you had to kind of run through the program, generate the first 99 pages before you had page 100. And with, P <laughs> with, with PDF, you have a, a structure where you can immediately say, I need page 100, give me all the resources for page 100. And, and you have page 100 without having to know anything about the rest of the, the, the document. Uh, nice. an, an, an example, for instance, uh, there's a car manufacturer who, so when, a, when you buy a car, uh, if it's produced on that day or a week later, it can be a slightly different car. But all the specifications <laughs> of every car so that, that leaves that, that factory has a PDF with how was this car built. And that's like a 100,000-page PDF. You cannot even open it in Adobe Reader. But if, some, <laughs> if, if something is, so Adobe Reader crashes or your computer crashes if you open it, but if something is wrong with that car, they can pull out that PDF and ask like, like this should be on page uh, 90,000, something like that. And then they, they pull out that, PDF, that, that page and, and they have the exact specification of how that car was built, for instance. So that, that's, that's one PDF use. So when, when I first wrote iText, it was just to uh, student, create student lists and, and report cards and diplomas. I, right. I, I couldn't imagine all the kinds of usages that, that later users would, would use iText for or PDF for. That, that's, that was like well, so kind of beyond my well, comprehension. That, well, that's just it, right? So it, it, in the early in the late '90s and the early 2000s, up until the 2010s, I would say that computer science was dominated by digitization. Right, this was taking existing paper workflows and digitizing them. Is that yeah. fair? Right, and so you yeah. the, the, the cool the school report card thing was exactly that. It's I'm yeah. we've got a thing we want to do it digitally more efficiently. Let the computer do the work. Yeah, um, and. and I remember companies where they had a policy. They had a policy policy change. All documents should be uh, distributed as PDFs. And what what the secretaries did was they they had the word document. They printed it. They scanned the the, the prints, and they had their PDF. But of course, that that wasn't what we wanted. We wanted digital born PDFs, <laughs> of course. And and like uh, one of the the main disadvantages of of PDF. Sometimes one, one thing that I often heard back then was PDF is where data goes to die in the sense <laughs> that you, you have your database with your students and, your gra and the grades of the students and, and the total result and, result and then you make a PDF of it, but the structure can get lost. So especially back in those days, you, you no longer had the structure. So you needed kind of a, a smart system to kind of scan the document to know uh, okay, this is this is the name of a course. This is a grade, but um, things changed a lot over the years. And and like in in 2012, we had the PDF UA standard, where uh, you 
had the rendering for like humans who have to see the document with their eyes, who had who have mm -hmm. to read it from print or from screen. But PDF UI also adds semantics. So um, oh. UI is for accessibility, universal accessibility. So um, that that screen readers or assistive technology knows of, for instance, can navigate through a table because if you right. read a table, you don't read it just from from left to uh, right, sometimes you have to, to stay within a cell. And so PDF right. UA knows, so the, the, the PDF isn't just about rendering it like graphically, but also right. PDF UA also knows about the structure and, and knows this is, this is the first cell in the first row. This is, uh, and, and with special, special, special software, you can say, oh, no, skip to the fifth row. Uh, I want the, the sixth column in the fifth row. So PDF is, is, is there are many Growing. different, there are many different flavors of PDF. You, you have the, 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 the scanned PDFs that are, right. you need OCR to know what's in it. You have the, the, the PDFs where data goes to die, but you also have the smart PDFs that that have the the, the complete uh, structure of the document. And this is actually very so. In my original experience with PDF, it was a digital it was a digital photocopy. That was what yeah. you used it for. It was a, mm -hmm. it was exactly the same thing you would put on a piece of paper, but pixelized. That's it. And and who cares how you got it there? As long as it was as long as you had it as a PDF, you could do anything with it. You could send it to the press. You could print it out in your laser writer. You could whatever. But what you couldn't do was use it as a, uh, as a data format, data carrier in of itself. So, yeah. and I, I was, I was watching recently, um, the Apache LibreOffice suite. Mm -hmm. They had a conference of their, like a little internal, um, conference you know like a little uh developers focused uh, you know people on the teams on the projects working on the projects on the code bases talking to each other proposing things and they had a, a very interesting discussion recently about is LibreOffice a pdf editor and and to be honest with you the the words to me sounded very i didn't think you could i thought that was the whole point it was kind of like a terminus format it was the end of the line for the data in that format um, and they're saying, well, we can import it, but it, the filter that imports it doesn't lay it out very well in LibreOffice, obviously, because it's not a full desktop publishing application with graphics fidelity and all that. Um, and then you can export the thing that you make changes to, but it doesn't, you can't really round trip. If you take a nice brochure from something designed in InDesign, import it into LibreOffice and then export it, it's not going to look the same, you know? If, for instance, if you have a subsetted font and uh, you introduce a new character that isn't in the subset, uh, right. you, you need that original font somewhere. So uh, that, there, are, there are a lot of difficulties. That's the first one that comes to mind, but there are many right. others. <laughs> right. So that, in that respect, I was like, I didn't know this was a thing that people did was editing. But I know, I know uh, Adobe Acrobat Reader will, uh, Adobe Acrobat will let you you know, add text, add stamp signatures, do some basic things like this. But I don't really think of it as a thing you can edit, really. It's a it's a bit of a Band-Aid after that. Um, on the other hand, there are also, you mentioned smart PDFs. Uh, and a lot of times, I'm sure people have seen this, where you get a form and it's you can fill it out. And somehow when you make changes to the PDF form, it goes to a server and there's actual data being synchronized across the internet. Um, yeah, 
there are different flavors. Uh, there used to be XFA, the XML forms architecture. Those are the mm -hmm. ones, if you open them in a browser, like in, in Firefox or uh, Chrome, uh, where it says, uh, where it gives like a standard uh, stub that says, I can't open this PDF. That's because uh, it's actually XML inside uh, a PDF that is rendered only in, in Adobe Reader, but that was deprecated in uh, PDF 2.0. So ISO 32002 deprecated that. And then you have the Acrobat form, so Acroforms, but those are rather limited in the sense that uh, the coordinates of, of your area where you can change something are fixed right. on the page. So oh. if, 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 if you say, well, uh, let's say you can, you have like uh, where, uh, this is the man. This is the well. This is these are the two partners, and these are these are the children. And there's only space for five children, and you have six children. Well, you can't do anything because because the acrobat form the the, the acro form doesn't allow it. So there, right. but yeah, there's that's one of the difficulties. PDF is is a really huge standard, and I remember back in the days of the mailing list or on Stack Overflow, people asking questions like, uh, "But I've seen this." working why does this work with my document <laughs> uh like the thing you said like uh doing the round trip there are situations where like for uh financial statements where we right. create where, where we create a pdf in a way that uh it's it's still vector data so people can still read it on their screen in a re reliable way but once you try to extract the data it's all gibberish because we we change the we, we change the encoding we 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 make we, we use a random encoding and and so so for instance an a corresponds with with the pound sign and a b so so <laughs> when you extract that data you 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 don't really know what's there we we just match the glyph of the a with a random other character. Oh, oh <laughs> <And> no. So, <laughs> so then, then there are people who say, oh, you claim that iText can extract data from PDFs, but uh, I've, I've tried to extract data from this PDF and, and it, it doesn't make sense, the, the result. And then you look at the PDF and you say, hey, but this was intentionally by the person who created the PDF. They, they right. wanted to, to obfuscate, obfuscate the data so that if Google kind of spiders that document, uh, knows, like it's this financial statement of Bruno Loaji and people Google for Bruno Loaji. It's never going to turn up because uh, the PDF doesn't, con if you extract the, the data from the PDF, it doesn't really have the string Bruno Loaji. Right. It's not strings anymore. It's just glyphs. That, it's, it's vectors that look like characters. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, and it's still pretty efficient. Uh, hold on one second. <laughs> We're having... Think they're going to get you? <laughs> I think I think somebody's having a very bad day, and I hope that the ambulance reaches them very quickly. Um. Okay. So anyway, I, I anyway, all about to say PDF is super important, but uh, more often than not, like like your original use case, I think of it as a digital receipt, right? It's the thing I hold on to for contract, pixel perfect, dried reliable. Ink. Um, yeah, um, PDFA for archiving, ensuring that if you look at PDF in ten years, it will still look the same. And then you have all the PADES standards, which are the, the electronic signature standards that right. kind of make sure that 
the integrity is preserved and no one changed it. So it's it's really a very broad standard. And, and when I started working on PDF, I didn't know that uh, ITEX would become such a huge library <laughs> with all it's those different features. Amazing. I was, as part of this process of learning about how to change it to make it work with GraalVM, I was really, I was, I was pleased to sit there and play with it. And there's, you know, via integration through Bounty Castle, you can do encrypted documents and uh, you can also do tables and QR codes and barcodes and uh, just everything. It's just, it's just this incredible, incredible library. So let's talk about that. Okay. So when did you change this project that was at your university? When did it officially become iText? Uh, so February 14, 2000, that was, that was the first public release of iText. And I think shortly after I moved it to SourceForge uh, because before it was just on the university server. And um, initially I released it under the LGPL because in my first jobs, I, I was outsourced to the Flemish government and everything was free, free software. So mm -hmm. the term open source wasn't even coined back then. That's only in February 98. And so uh, the only type of licenses I knew were the GPL style licenses. And so right. I, I PDF was released as LGPL and, and ITEX was released as LG, LGPL. But then I think the, I saw the first adoption or the first articles uh, on IBM websites and SAP websites in 2002. And also I received questions from people who like more the legal people who didn't like the LGPL and said, well, we, we'd rather have the MPL and so the Mozilla public license. And so Mozilla was kind of instrumental in, in making open source big. Uh, and I, I read the license and I didn't see that much uh, difference. I'm not a lawyer. And so uh, I think very early on, maybe already in 2000, 2001, uh, we had people could choose between the LGPL and the MPL. And I... Right. I was very idealistic and I said, well, I have my job at university and uh, that's just a side project. That's just a hobby project. Um, and yeah, I, I kept it free as in free beer for eight years. So uh, up until 2008, there was no company uh, for iText. Uh, at one point, there was a company who offered to buy iText. And then I went to like an M&A consultant and he said, yeah, what's the name of your company? I said, I don't have a company. And he said, well, well what are you going to sell? So, so that, that, that conversation died uh, quite dead because I didn't understand what the M&A guy from the buyer was talking about. And I didn't find anyone in Belgium who knew, who wanted to help me. Uh, and so uh, what changed was um, a couple of things. So uh, I got more and more questions. So people got more and more demanding. So technical questions and, and, and right. like, we need this feature. And I said, yeah, but I, I, I do this in weekends. And then um, there was one large, well, a Fortune 500 company who sent me like a, a bundle with, with a dozen, a dozen pages saying, can you sign this for us? And I said, why would I sign this for you? Well, we are using iText and uh, we want to kind of, uh, we don't want to be uh, liable for your software. So we want you to kind of tell uh, our customers that if something goes wrong, that we, the Fortune 500 company isn't responsible, but that you are responsible for, responsible right. for that code. So I, I, I never signed it because I said, hey, <laughs> you're not even paying me. So why would I sign this? <laughs> and, and, and 
And but the worst thing that happened was that um, in Belgium there are certain criteria, uh, and if you meet those criteria, you are uh, self-employed. So uh, the number of people of companies, the number of people or companies that you work for, is right. one criterion. So I was working for. Uh, MSAP, everyone was using iText. Uh, the freedom to decide uh, when you perform the work. I did this in my spare time. Uh, the degree of continuity. So I had been working on iText from, since 2000. The level of investment. So I had my own website that I paid for. And then the level of risk that is involved of your ac activity. And so more and more, I got legal questions. Uh, so I started kind of thinking, hey, Am I not at risk if something goes wrong? Won't they sue me? But so these criteria, uh, the Social Security Service in Belgium said, well, uh, based on these criteria, you are self-employed and you haven't been yeah. paying any Social Security contributions. So uh -oh. they went back in time and they said, well, here are so many years of Social Security com uh, contributions. And since you didn't pay them when you started, you have to pay 7% interest on the last couple of years and 12% interest on those years. And so I said, what is happening to me? And then they said, well, you should really start a company. And uh, so they waived the, the interest. So I didn't have to pay the 7% the, the and 12% interest, but it was still a, a big bill that we had to pay for the Social Security Administration to be happy with, with, with the situation. And so I started the company and January 2008, together with my wife. But then another thing struck us in, in February 2008, our son was diagnosed with cancer, so bone cancer. So for oh, the no. whole, we, we almost went, uh, no, bone cancer. So uh, he, uh, part of his knee was removed and, and he has no prosthesis and stuff like that. So it was like the worst year of my life, 2008. But yeah. after, after 18 uh, chemotherapy sessions and uh, like he had surgery every year because every year his one leg was growing and his other leg didn't grow anymore. So he had kind of for six or seven years, every summer he went to the hospital to, to have an extension to his leg. And so his, his muscles had to be because uh, so he couldn't bend his leg after every oh. operation. So that was like the worst year in our, in our lives. And uh, I'm so sorry. We, we, had to, we had that company, we had to pay social security, we had to pay kind of taxes, uh, but we didn't have any business because, yeah, I was more in the hospital than elsewhere. And, and, and everyone who promised, yeah, if you start a business, we will buy a license or we will kind of support you financially. Yeah, they didn't do that because they said, hey, that guy is in the hospital. He's not going to kind of, that's not going to, to succeed. And uh, so that was a really bad year. But then... Um, in 2009, uh, you probably know Andrew Binstock. He was uh, editor-in-chief yeah. of Java News Oracle. at some point. So yeah. um, in 2007, so I had written two books for Manning. Well, I had written back then one book for Manning Publications in 2006, uh, 2006 iTex in Action, the first edition. And uh, in 2007, in March 2007, Andrew came to Belgium for a conference. And he said, well, uh, I have to be in Brussels. Kent is nearby. Um, I'll do a stop in Ghent, uh, I'll buy you lunch, and you sign my copy of your book. And instead of just signing my copy, his copy of my book, I gave him the touristic tour of Ghent, and we became friends. Right. And so when he saw my wife and I struggle in 2008, he said, well, I have to help you. And he said, 
you made the mistake to start in Belgium. You should have started with us in, in Silicon Valley. And he started iTech Software uh, Corporation in, uh, I think, February 2009. And together we, we sold the first licenses. Um, so we had a dual license system. Back then, the bank and insurance companies, they were really afraid of PDF, so they, of, uh, not of PDF, of uh, open source. So some of these companies had a policy that they wouldn't allow the use of open source. How things, how, how times have changed. <laughs> yeah. but, but back then, uh, so there was a, a, an insurance company on the East Coast and a bank on the West Coast, and the developers had introduced iText, but they had the problem that iText was not allowed in the company due to, to that policy of you are not allowed to use open source. You need a business relationship with an, a software vendor. And so those were the first customers. So together with Andrew and the legal department of those customers, we created a commercial license that could stand next to the LGPL MPL. And so we did our first sales uh, together, Andrew and I. And then once we had this, those two first sales and we had that end user license, for me, as an engineer, I thought that the software was the product. Yeah, software is what we're selling. It took a while for Andrew to teach me that the real product was the end user, end user license agreement. So the, the, the insurance that uh, when they used iText and something went wrong, that the company would kind of uh, jump in and, and solve the problem. And so we had some uh, salespeople on commission who kind of went through our list of potential buyers. And the first year in 2009, we had about 300K in uh, invoice revenue. And so uh, that was in three, the, the first three quarters of 2009. But then the fourth quarter, the list, the, the salespeople on commission had kind of completed the list and we had almost no sales, I think maybe a thousand dollars in the fourth quarter. And there was a lot of pressure on me from the salespeople, but also from Andrew saying, well, the LGPL makes it really easy for people to use ITEX in a commercial context because it's like, uh, it's only if you change something in the ITEX code, you have to contribute it back. But the source code that is built around iText that can be commercial closed source uh, proprietary software. And so after long discussions, I decided that I, I gave in and we changed. So we, we went from iText 2, which was compatible with Java 2, to iText 5, which was compatible with iText version, with Java version 5. So that's why right. we jumped from 2 to 5. Also because we had a C-sharp version that was already on version 4. So we kind of said, well, no, we, we make iText 5. And since iText 5 in 2009, uh, the license was the AGPL, which is a more viral license. So if you use iText in like a web context and, and iText only lives on the server, but uh, an end user is, triggers some process and that process triggers iText, well, then all the source code that is using iText has to be AGPL. So that was uh, the big change. And what happened was that a lot of companies stopped upgrading, like uh, Google was using iText in uh, Calendar, in um, Analytics, uh, so in, in many different of their, their uh, stuff. And so I think in Calendar, they still use the, 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 the last LGPL version that was available. 
back in 2009. And uh, they gradually changed to other libraries uh, over the years. Uh, but changing to the AGPL really made a difference for, for ITEX because uh, I was still having my day job for the university. So I worked like from nine to five at the university and then five o'clock in the evening was 9 a.m. in California. So I then did my job for, for, for ITEX from nine to, nine to five Californian hours. So I was the only one together with a Portuguese guy who was like the co-developer of ITEX. So the moment we started making money, I start, he didn't want to join the company. So I started paying him a monthly fee to help out and uh so but we were only two people developing itext and it was only after we changed to the agpl that we kind of start making more money like in 2010 it was already 700k and then in the summer of 2011 uh we already had 1 million uh in in revenue and that's when we started to really hire people hire developers and and it also made me some time to join the ISO committee for PDF because I was just kind of implementing the standard. But by kind of joining the ISO committee in 2008, uh, Adobe, so before 2008, PDF was a proprietary format. Adobe had right. the, the, the copyright, but they granted everyone the right to use that copyright. And so they also had patents on a PDF, but they granted an, a non-exclusive right to use those, those patents on condition that the software you were writing was compliant with the standard. So they wanted to avoid, okay. they wanted to avoid like uh, first versions of JavaScript. You had a version from Netscape, you had a version from Microsoft or TIFF. The TIFF format was also, oh. you had, you had many different flavors of TIFF and Adobe wanted to avoid this. And that's why they kind of used their patents. As long as you kept true to the standard, you weren't infringing them patents, but the moment you did something wrong, they went after you. And, and there was a time where, where iText kind of, not intentionally, but, but there were some errors in, in iText. And then you had Leonard Rosenthal, who is, who is, uh, I don't know what he is today, but he will used to be Adobe's PDF architect. And then he said, oh, Bruno, we have to talk. And uh, you have a, an error there. And so then we fixed it. Of course, they, they never sued me. <laughs> but, but, but I mean, changing to the AGPL, if we, I, I, everyone, there were a lot of people hating me for that move because they said, ITEX is no longer free anymore. <laughs> but, but yeah, but, and, and so also, uh, I, won I once was at a, a, a talk at FOSDEM, so in Brussels. Uh, the yeah, another great show. Yeah, and so uh, there were some people who were the authors of the AGPL on stage, and I asked a question, and he singled me out, and he said, well, your use of the AGPL is nefarious, and you shouldn't use the AGPL like that. And, uh, sure, yeah. That, that, that there were a lot of politics involved uh, regarding the, the diehard open source people or free software people who who claimed that everything that, that that yeah everything should be free and that was kind of a constant struggle because internally the more we grew the more salespeople we had the more different uh, people depending on itex for their living every board meeting I had to defend uh myself against how oh, we should use we should uh make 
I text closed source because then we are going to make more money. And I said that it's it's a, you you have to have the right balance because if you make uh, I text closed source or proprietary, then we are going to lose a lot of customers too. So 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 that was I, a constant a constant battle internally to keep it open source and externally to kind of defend ourselves for using the AGPL. And okay, so and in my mind, what you did was perfectly natural, and it's truly open. When we talk about open source, AGPL is it's a GPL. It's a it's a it's a very good viral open source license. Nobody can argue that it's not. I can understand why some people didn't like losing their free uh, uh, commercial money maker, but that's their problem, not yours. And I completely understand that. And today, here we are today. Fast forward, you know, 15 years, <laughs> and the discussion around open source looks very, very different. I think a lot of people would be very happy if AGPL was the worst thing they had to worry about, you know? Um, I, I know. So. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's difficult. So I, I, I notice there are people who say, well, uh, open enough is, is okay for us, so we don't mind about the, the server-side public license. And then there are other people who, well, the, the open source initiative who says, well, the SSPL isn't open source, the closed source code is. Uh, and and it, it gets harder to explain to people that, that you can have source code that is open, but not open source. So like, uh, I, I often, so I, I wrote I wrote a book and, and people who re read the book, they contact me and they ask me, can you, give us guidance. And sometimes I have to help people uh, who want to secure uh, venture capital. And, right. and then you, you kind of have to explain to venture capitalists. There are, of course, special venture capitalists ex uh, who are specialized in open source, but the more traditional ones, they still don't know what open source is about. <laughs> That's, I, I mean, for me, I... I already feel like I'm I'm no longer up to date anymore. But then when I start talking with like a VC, it's like, uh, oh, <laughs> I, 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 I know way more than I thought I, I knew. <laughs> right. I by the way, uh, before I forget, cheers to cheers to Andrew Binstock. He's a he's a very nice human being. I, you know, he was the editor for the Oracle Java magazine. I think it was or the Oracle. Yeah. And before that, Dr. Dobbs Journal and... Uh... Yeah, Dr. I, and I was a huge reader of Dr. Jobs. I had a subscription for 15 years, you know, and, um, and then he did the Oracle Java one. And that was very interesting to me because it's Oracle and he went out of his way. He went out of his way. Remember, he's working for Oracle. He's getting a paycheck from Oracle. He went out of his way to have Spring in the magazine, right? Mm -hmm. To show the Java ecosystem is not just... Uh, J2E slash Java EE uh, and uh, whatever. It was also Spring. It was also this wonderful, vibrant open source ecosystem. It was what a lovely human being. Yeah, he, we, 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 he's still a friend. So whenever yeah. I go to California, we meet. Um, and he was a board member of ITEX group for a, a very long time. So um, I had on one hand a Belgian guy, uh, Peter Camps. He uh, also had a couple of PDF companies. So we could talk PDF to each other. So during the board meeting, <laughs> sometimes we were talking about PDF and all the other ones, all, all the other people were kind of looking at this, like, what are they talking about? But then <laughs> and Andrew was the ideal person to kind of, he understood developers. So he understood me and he could translate what I wanted to the other board members who were more marketing, sales, uh, financial, and, and vice versa. 
he knew the language of these other people and he could he could kind of translate what the other people were asking uh... because I, I remember the first board meetings were really hard for me because they were telling me ah you you shouldn't do this you should do that and and you're doing this wrong and and so after the board meeting i said haven't i done anything right <laughs> but they said well bruno you, you wanted the board because you wanted to professionalize your professionalize your company and so we are just giving you advice and and andrew was really helpful in kind of telling me don't worry the they, they just want to help you and this is how they want to help you and and so he really taught me a lot about doing business because i i, I was really a very technical person and, and right um, he's yeah. a day walker he's like blade he can do both yeah software and business you know yeah, um yeah. Uh, that's another reference from the early 2000s for those who are of, of the right age uh, okay so so you so you got into the business side of things itext is now more successful it's it's taking off uh, you've got a large organization. You said in 2011, I think you said you had a, a million R, uh, recurring revenue, you know, mm-hmm. um, like what then? Like, where'd you go? Uh, um, first, we wanted to kind of uh, make sure that we were a real company because at first I was just hiring the people that I knew and and it was like, like the startup mentality, like uh, uh, I would say half a word and then people would start coding and that didn't always work and so um also we we used salespeople on commission and that was for the initial phase that was an interesting because we didn't have to pay a salary and so at first when you don't have any money you cannot pay your, your salespeople. so so <laughs> they they were only paid if they sold something but we also saw the disadvantages of working with salespeople on commission because they went for the the quick sale and um they they didn't so if i asked hey this customer how are they using itext well we're not paid to ask the customer how they are using itext and right. what really made kind of the the changed my mind about about uh, we need other salespeople was um there's this big bank in belgium kbc and i saw a, a request coming in from kbc but i didn't see the sale come through and so i i, I called the salespeople on commission and i said yeah, whatever happened with with kbc and they said kbc doesn't ring a bell can't have been important um yeah they probably weren't in that interested. So I, I called KBC because it was a Belgian company. And right. they said, well, yeah, uh, we were very interested in ITEX, but your salespeople, they just sent us like a couple of uh, price lists and they said, uh, tell us what you need and we'll make you an invoice. And, and, and so we didn't, we, didn't, we didn't feel appreciated by our salespeople. And that was when no. I said, uh, okay, we need dedicated salespeople. And so the, the first, so the ded- dedicated salespeople, I really started kind of talking to customers because before I only had conversations with ITEX users on free forums, so on the on the, the ITEX mailing list. And there's a big difference between a user who isn't paying, who says, I need, uh, I don't know, uh, I, I need... Um, Indian ligature, so I, I need to be able to uh, write Hindi, and 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 it has to render perfectly in in a PDF. Um, there's a big difference between a non-paying customer who a user who who asks something like you then write that code and you never hear from them. 
you don't right. even get a thank you. Whereas yeah. if you have if you have a paying customer, and a paying customer has a request, like at some point, Northrop Grumman uh, wanted to win a tender for the for a, a U.S. government uh, project, and they really needed. Uh, PDF U, UA support, so universal accessibility for PDF forms. And uh, because they were a good customer, we dropped everything. And so we didn't charge for the development, but we said we are going to make this a top priority on our uh, on our roadmap, and we're going to build this for you so that you right. can get, get this standard. And so that was one of the bigger changes, like um, how are we going to define our roadmap? We are going to define our roadmap on... By the customers, real-world real uh, needs from customers, and and that's that's one type of prof professionalization that we introduced, and uh, also kind of I was kind of the CT CEO CTO, but I'm really not the guy who kind of. Um, I'm not the guy who is going to check everyone's code and so on, uh, or, or going to see if that. So having someone to do that for me, that was Raf Hens, who was like the the, the project leader of, uh, who, who kept an eye on the roadmap, who made sure that the, the developers did what they were supposed to do. I was more, so I, I really like like writing. So I was the one who, when the code was written. Who writes the man? Who wrote the manual? So I wrote two uh. books for Manning Publications, but then I also, uh, after the, the the second book, I started uh, publishing manuals on LeanPub. LeanPub is like uh, uh, I use it. Form. Yeah, but, and and so the the thing was, customers we gave them a voucher to get the book for free, and people who weren't a customer they had to pay a, a minimal fee to get the book, and and writing for me was also. Uh, an exercise in in what what new features do we need? So uh, the roadmap was defined on the one hand by what customers needed. On the other hand, uh, I wanted to write a story, and if there were gaps in my story, I said, "Hey, we need that functionality because otherwise there's a gap in my story in my manual." And and it right. was like also kind of a quality control. And so uh, building that company, free time for me. Um, away from from giving support, uh, away from from the day to day development, but gave me time to be part of the ISO committee. So read the specification right. before they were uh, released and and like add stuff, uh, like uh, the extracting a TIFF from a PDF was really hard, and so I introduced an L attribute that tells the, the, the document how many bytes there are in the TIFF because otherwise you, you couldn't really uh. know that there, there, the end sequence of a TIFF, you, you had to guess. And so 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 being able to, uh, yeah, I, I, I wrote parts of the, 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 the section about digital signatures. So that was really interesting because on the one hand, I, I, I had knowledge of the specification before it was written on the other right. hand, other hand by the time that the specification was was released we had a version of itex that implemented not only implemented the specification but also documented it and then um so it's the hand drawing itself and yeah. you know the and 
yeah, indeed. Yeah. Uh, it's like uh, chicken or egg. So we put it right. in the spec, and but but before it's in the spec, we need to know if it works. Uh, stuff like that. Uh, By the way, uh, before before we continue, I was I'm still stuck on what you said a few minutes ago, which was that nobody even said thank you, and I just wanted to say uh, thank you. Uh, I have benefited from my text, and I know countless other people have as well. And uh, but, thank you. But, the anyway, fun thing, the fun thing was being at. I really like going to shows like Java One, uh, and mm-hmm. I I remember there was a guy coming up to me, and that was one of the weirdest conversations I had. I said, "Do you know the deadliest catch?" And I said, <laughs> "So that's what? one one of the highest higher numbers on our TV. It's like uh, where they they go on the sea and they catch crabs and and and, and so right." On. We use ITEX, he said. And so oh. apparently when when the ship comes in, they weigh what they have got and then a, a, a proof of the weight of the proof of what they have got is on a PDF. And that PDF was made with ITEX. And so th- those those anecdotes that you have at, at conferences like that, th- those are the best. Those are really the best. That's the greatest. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's, one of the, the non-tangible rewards of, of having written ITEX. <laughs> countless cool use cases like that. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Amazing. You you obviously learned a lot uh, through experience and through nice people like Andrew Binstock uh, who are willing to help you. Uh, and, uh, and obviously you are sort of, uh, you've been very successful, obviously. I mean, I mean, we, I, again, Simon in our chat here mentioned, he said, uh, who hasn't heard of iText? And the answer is, I don't think anybody has, I think everybody has heard of it, right? Everybody has. You, you. And, uh, you know, in, in, from my perspective, I came at it again later on from the, from the spring side, you know, it's very natural to want to render data in PDF. So it's a very nice capability to do that. Um, what, what eventually, uh, you know, what happened to you and, and iText? I, I, I take it you're no longer there. No. So um, in 2012, that was like, if, if people ask me what was your the best age, that was 42. And in 2012, <laughs> we, we, we were small enough to have a manageable company and, and big enough to kind of have a great living because that was when I started traveling, started having time to do shows like uh, DevOps or Java 1. Uh, Oracle yeah. World was it later on, and uh, but um, it also took a toll on our family in the sense that my wife and I we were kind of so there's this there's this book The Founder's Dilemmas by Noam Wasserman, and he talks about there are two types of decisions there are control decisions and there are wealth decisions, <laughs> and he looks at those decisions and he says well there are the the founders, uh, the roles, rewards, and uh, responsibilities, and control decisions. You keep them with you, whereas wealth decisions, you kind of give away control. And the same with hires, the same with openness to external capital and so on. And uh, I read this book in 2013, and I noticed that my wife and I, we were kind of taking control decisions in the sense that everything had to pass through us. So if we were traveling and a document needed to be signed, and back then it wasn't all digital signing yet, uh, but... (laughs) When a document needed to be signed and we were in the US for two weeks, could be that that document was waiting for us for two weeks. And uh, Noam Wasserman, he 
says, well, it's very tempting to try. So if you take control decisions, you can be king of your company, but you will never never reach the full cup, the full potential of your company. Whereas if I... you take if you take wealth decisions, you won't be king because you will have handout control, but your company will be able to kind of grow. So if control decisions, they, they limit your grow and growth. And um, he said, it's very tempting to combine both. Huh? Everyone wants to be Larry Ellison. Everyone wants to be uh, Bill Gates. Uh, those are king and uh, rich. But those, we all know them because they are the exceptions. Most of the times, if you try to combine wealth decisions with, with control decisions, it's a recipe for failure. And so uh, yeah. we, we, we looked at this and we said, at some point, we said, ITEX is like a cat. You don't own a cat. The cat owns you. It felt like <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't own ITEX. ITEX owned us. There were like days that I, 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 I just had flown to Seattle uh, for five days, and then I already had to fly to, to Berlin. And, and I was never home. And we have two sons. And, and, and my wife and I were together in the company. And we said, well, uh, either we... So if we want to really grow, it's uh, yeah. Some some VCs were telling us uh, go big or go home, or uh, either you're at the table or you're on the menu. And uh, we thought, <laughs> well, what what do we need to do? And so we hired Duff Johnson. He is now one of the people at the PDF Association and and and, and the ISO committees for PDF. Uh, I think he's the CEO of the PDF Association. I, I don't remember. Duff Johnson. We hired him, and we said, well. Uh, what what should we do? And option zero was get out. We we are going to sell our company, but we weren't ready to sell. So we 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 didn't even know what what our rec I didn't even know what the term recognized revenue meant. So right. I, I, I I was re so uh, tax tax people they made our tax return forms, but I, I didn't really know what it all meant. And so uh, you really need to know all these numbers if you, if you want to sell a company. So that was option zero. Option one um, was, uh, let me check, was milk it. Uh, like uh, we have a good business. I think we had seven employees uh, yeah. and, and we, ha we had a good revenue. So we were uh, double digit EBITDA. Uh, and, and so we could have just said, well, we, we go, we're going to, uh, just continue like we are doing. Option two was pedal to the metal. Uh, so we had some interest from VCs who were looking for opportunities, and we went to these VCs to talk to talk about about iText, and uh, we used those VCs for free consultancy in the sense like uh, if you would work with us, what would you do for us? And and so everything they said, we made a checklist, and we eventually went for option three, which was. <laughs> The drive it strategy and drive it was do what the VCs told us they would do for us, but do it ourselves. So um, we changed the, the so we had uh, BV, which is something like an LLC, and uh, we changed it to an NV in Belgium, which is uh, uh, like more a corporation. So the, the, the difference is that uh, we, we made a change in, in the corporate type uh, so that it would be easier for external capital to join. And uh, we we hired, a, so we had an uh, an accountant in Belgium and we had an accountant in the US and they both talked uh, English, but they didn't talk the same language. So we changed, <laughs> we changed, 
we changed to an accountant that was globally that was active globally so that we wouldn't have any any discussions there and so we really cleaned up house and installed the board of directors and uh, i remember the the first real board meeting uh was in in january 2014 and I, i remember saying this board will be a failure if we don't have an exit within three years uh because we really wa- my wife and I really wanted to kind of explore other things. And uh, uh, so with the board, we changed a lot of things. Like we went from uh, the salespeople we had were very well in responding to customers, but we changed to more strategic uh, salespeople who kind of were more proactive. And, and, and like, for instance, they would go to a customer and ask um, how many types of PDF vendors are you paying invoices to? And some were as many as, as, as a dozen. So they had a dozen different PDF vendors and they had this vendor for that aspect, this vendor for that aspect and so on. And then the salespeople why would say, consolidate? well, why not uh, standardize on iTech so that you only have to pay one invoice and the sum of all the invoice, invoices you will you are paying now will be, uh, it, you, you, it will be way less expensive than if, if you just pay the one ITEX invoice. And, right. and so they, they, they really thought more strategically. And, and so that was also one of the reasons why ITEX really grew fast. So I, I, we won the fast. In Belgium, uh, we were third place in the fast 50. So Deloitte has a, a, a technology fast 50. And we were third place in Belgium in 2013, first place in 2014, and second place in 2015. So three years in a row, we were in the top three of fastest growing comp- uh, technology companies in Belgium. And um, so uh, then we, we kind of... Uh, yeah had an M&A consultant and they found two possible buyers. And one was a buyer who said, we are going to kill Adobe. We are going to be the biggest. And it was Ooh. like, no, I, I, I want to be friends with Adobe. I've always yeah. been friends with Adobe. We, we, we are on the same yeah. page where we want to go to technology uh, wise. And the other one was Hancom. Um, that's a South Korean company um, who uh, had all kinds of support for uh, the, the, the office suites, like they had uh, their own version of, of Word, they had their own version of uh, PowerPoint and, and Excel. And I thought it would be a good match because they didn't have anything uh, PDF related. Right. But um, I really under, underestimated the difference in culture. Like there were, they were, their software development team, they were using all the, terminology of agile but <laughs> but they weren't really working agile it was really top down and and so we really struggled to kind of find synergies uh, that, that that's just one example there are other examples of of uh, yeah how how we had different views on customers um like we wanted to i wanted to invest in something called Ditto that was design interactive templates online. So ITEX was a library that lived on the server, but we didn't have any services and I wanted to move to services. Uh... And, 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 and they were still selling uh, uh, 
they were selling like their suite, but that was on, on DVDs, on CDs that they were selling. And they said, is there really a future in, in SaaS? And I said, which year are what? we in? <laughs> yeah. So, so th- there were a lot of things that went. This, but- this question to the guy who was building a SaaS <laughs> grade management system in the yeah, 90s. And, and- I, I already was kind of uh, <laughs> un- unhappy that, that we were missing the train with ITEX, but of, of course, yeah. But then uh, something happened with that company in the sense that they were buying a lot of companies, but they were always uh, using uh, money from private equity players to buy uh, companies. And they had bought another company, and suddenly uh, the valuation of that company had... Uh, been cut in half and uh, one of the private equity uh, investors had a put option so that private equity uh, player said well we are going to force you Hancom to buy all our shares at the initial value but the the value was already half and they had a a liquidity problem and they looked at their portfolio and they saw oh we have this this really fast growing company here iText why wouldn't we sell that company and they they sold uh, their part, but they wanted to force me to sell my shares along with them, and uh, at the price that they defined. And then I went to court, and we had a battle in court for one and a, one year and a half, and then we settled. And uh, that's when I I sold my my remainder of shares. So it was a really bumpy ride. Uh, wow. So Hancom owned three quarters of the shares. Uh, starting in December 2015, and then in 2000, I, 2018 September, I was kicked out of the office because I sued them, and then uh, and I, I they also used the call option to kind of uh, buy a fifth of my shares. So I, I ended up with 18.88 percent of the shares, and then in 2012, just before COVID hit, we settled and uh, I sold. 2020. 2020. Sorry, 2020. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was February 2020, and so yeah. in, Mar- in March everything closed down here uh, in 2020. And, and so um, that's how I left Itex, not really in an elegant way. But then Itex got sold again to PDFtron uh, in April 2022. And the first Ooh. thing that happened was the CEO who called me and said, uh, "Could you give a keynote at our first event?" Uh, of the- and so that was like a, uh, an elegant ending because then I, I, I gave a keynote about the history of, of open source and iText. Wow, what a journey. I, it's, <laughs> and you wrote a book, and that book um, uh, is an uh, uh, entrepreneur. Uh, oh, there it is, yeah. That, and that tells some of the story that we just heard? Yeah, yeah and much more. <laughs> so, uh, wow. That's, I will... I have a book to read. It's the winter, the winter, the fall and the winter are here in the Northern hemisphere and uh, the days are shorter and uh, I have a need for something to read because I won't be able to go outside as long. So that'll be a book I want to get. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> your story is amazing. I, I, what are you doing now? I mean, I, when I, when I messaged you, you were very kind and very polite. You helped me out. But then you said, look, I'm very happy to have a conversation with you strange person that I haven't talked to in forever. Uh, but don't bother me for a couple of weeks. I'll be doing a film festival. Film, <laughs> film marathon, yeah. Uh, so uh, 
it goes back to when we were students. My my wife and I we we really lo loved uh, movies, and so and in '94 and '95 we went to the film festival in Ghent for the first times. And when I say yeah. we went to the film festival, that means that we have like uh, a pass that we can start watching movies. The first screening is at 9 a.m. and the last screening is at 10:30 p.m. And so when we were younger, we we watched six movies a day during. 10, 11 days. Uh, now we're a little bit older, so the, in, in the last film festival in Ghent, we, we watched uh, 53 and one-third movies, so so that's an average of, <laughs> of, of, of about five movies a day that we saw. Um, and yeah, so it's a hobby that got out of hand because um, so <laughs> we... We had this exit and suddenly people started asking us, hey, we're making this cool movie. Wouldn't you inv invest in this movie? So then we, we sponsored some movies. It's not real investments because we haven't seen any euros back from, from those movies. But now we have a movie that uh, won prize after prize. It, it uh, won a special mention at the Berlinale. So this also allowed us to go to Berlin to the film festival. Um, we were also able to go to the film festival in Cannes. Uh, because so Kent and Ber Berlin and South by Southwest and, and Cinequest in, in San Jose, those are film festivals open to the public. But in Cannes, you only can go if you're uh, an industry, if you're in the industry. And so right. another thing we did was um, we have uh, very few art house cinemas in Flanders. And at some point, uh, one of the art house cinemas in, in Ghent was about to be sold to be changed into a hotel or a restaurant. Or so. And so my wife and I, we bought it with the intention to renovate it. So we, we are now looking at uh, architects to, to renovate it. One problem is that the people who we have, a, the lease contract is until December 2028. And the people who are now running the, the movie theater, they don't want to renovate. renovate. So we might have to wait until 2028. Uh, but another project we're in is uh, the Winter Circus. Um, so back in the 19th century, you had like a stone circus in the middle of the city for, for, for yeah. elephants and stuff like that. I have a question first. What was the name of the movie you said that was winning all these prizes? Sea ah, uh, Sparkle. Uh, C I think Sea Sparkle. S-E-A? Uh, so the C. Uh, yeah. S-E-A. And then Sparkle. Movies. Okay. So it's uh, like... Oh, look at that. Okay, drama family, hour and 40 minutes. I will find a link and I'll paste it in here about this. Wow, it's got good reviews too. It's about a girl who loses her father at sea and everyone goes to a mourning process, but she is convinced that a monster was responsible for uh, the, the the death of, their, of, of, of her father. And so <laughs> let's do it. That's awesome. I, I will watch that. Is that a available only on? I mean, where do I watch it? Can I stream it or can I buy it? I, I don't. Stream? I I think it it premiered in Chicago last week or this week. So I I don't know if it's available on streaming already uh, in uh, in in the US. It, it did. It it also won a prize in Iran, but the the director didn't want to go to Iran because yeah, you know, <laughs> that's that would be a problem. But um, yeah, it it. It's fun to congrats that's a really that. cool looking movie yeah. but I, so I, I, I was talking about the winter circus which is it used to be a permanent circus in Ghent and yeah. um, 
uh, it got abandoned and uh, the city of Ghent renovated it and uh, put out a tender for people who want to kind of do something with the Winter Circus. And we joined a consortium of all tech entrepreneurs who had an exit and we put a lot of money together and uh, we are now turning this into a, a technology hub for startups. And so um, there's an initiative, Flanders Technology and Innovation, that starts next year in March. And the opening event will be at the Winter Circus. And uh, so that's where we will kind of, um, you know, that one of the problems that I had when I started my business was um, I was in open source in Belgium and I couldn't talk to anyone because uh, uh, the only person that I knew in Belgium that was doing open source was Dries Beutart, Drupal. And so he's in the book too. We, we compared notes. And so uh, he's actually, he, he uh, uh, had his uh, doctorate using Java. So Drupal has PHP, but right. he's, actually, he's actually a Java guy. Uh, <laughs> and, and so that was one of the only persons I could talk to. And what we noticed was you can hire all these big, uh, big five people to, to get advice, but Bruno. They, they don't know anything about your business. I have a, a non-related question. What is, is, does Drupal mean anything in Dutch or Flemish or? It, it's uh, a drop. So, uh, Drupal. So it's, the... it, it's a misspelling of, of, of Drupal. Drupal is, is the, the drop, and, and so you have the Drupal. <laughs> okay, I'm, it's, it's almost 2024, and this is the first time I learned that. Okay, never mind. <laughs> and, okay, and good. So, so the, idea, the idea of the Winter Circus is to kind of shortcut. Uh, so if, if, if starters have a question, bring them in contact with people who have hands-on experience and who are right. really in the business rather than have them search through kind of incubators where the, the main goal is to kind of uh, real estate, uh, come here, have your office here, we'll charge you by the month and, and we'll give you advice, but that advice isn't always up to date. And so the Winter Circus is, is a place where we will have events and, and, and people talk like, um, I, I have a talk about IP, about uh, uh, licensing, about uh, uh, it's not because you find code online in the open that you can use it. Uh, you, it's, it's, yeah. it's proprietary because the guy who wrote it forgot to add uh, some, some license information, stuff like that. Um, stuff about valuation. I, I have a talk that I give about uh, where I, I, I make uh, a table of contents of my book, but not with the chapters, but with two graphs, the, the psychological value that we attributed to iText. Like if we would sell iText, that is what we would kind of ask. And then the calculated value. So in some, at some points in time, we went to kind of specialized people who, who made the valuation. And, and, and so the graph at some point intersects and that's the point where we sold the company. So, <laughs> so all, all, all that stuff is, is, is in talks. And so all the members of the consortium are all people who have been in the business or are still in the business and who have all these, these stories like this. Wow. Wow. Um, okay. So it sounds like you're, you're, you took your journey and made it so that it can help others on their journey, which is a, a wonderful thing uh, to do. And it's one of the reasons why I respect you so very much. Um, are you, you know, I think we're wrapping up here. Is there anything I have forgotten to mention? 
or that we have forgotten to mention? I don't think so. We were going to talk for 40 minutes and it's already double. So. <laughs> it's been great for me. I'm sorry to have kept you. I appreciate that no, dinner no, is no. probably waiting for you. It's gotten dark. <laughs> it's gotten really bright here. Uh, the sun is reflecting off of a, a skyscraper nearby. Um, so, okay. Are you online? And if so, do you want to be found? And if so, where can people find you? Um, people use well. The, the easiest way to contact me is through LinkedIn. Uh, I think that's how you connected to me, isn't it? Probably because, because then you can see when I've seen your message. Uh, if you just send a mail, uh, I get a lot of mail, and, and and I try to answer every mail, but sometimes mails get lost, and it's easier if if you if you use LinkedIn, uh, not with the standard message, but with an explanation and. I mean, I get a lot of uh, spam on LinkedIn, but refer to a talk like this uh, because I, nine out I of just asked to connect. Uh, nine nine times of the out of ten people want to sell me something on LinkedIn. So, uh, <laughs> uh, like, uh, there's a, a a real plague of lifestyle coaches now in Belgium. So, uh, <laughs> I I know your your life is stressful and you're in business, uh, but we can help you with our. Uh, you only need half an hour a week, and and we have a program for you. Or or this like we can uh, get you to an exclusive resort with only CEOs, only people of your. And why would I go to a resort with only CEOs? That's that's like a nightmare for me. <laughs> so I, I I get all these these requests on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. So if you connect, make sure that. That's something that I, I recognize that it's not something that you try to sell me like that. No. Uh, I, okay, uh, so LinkedIn, can I, can I play, uh, paste your profile here in the, um, yeah, that's okay. in the chat? And then I've invited you to connect. I, I hope respectfully I, I, that you'll connect with closed, me someday. I closed all my other windows, so. Uh, no problem. But I just, there's, okay. that's one. Uh, let's see. Here we go. People are, people have seemed to have, as people seem to have enjoyed the conversation. I sure did. Uh, thank you so much for, for iText, for taking the time to educate, to lead, to build a business, to help others, to lift others, uh, and to be here today. I appreciate it very much, Bruno. Thank you for uh, having me on your show. So it's been a while. <laughs> now, I, I really miss getting on the stage. So uh, that's, that's the one thing that I miss most. And that's why I uh, joined the Winter Circus Consortium because that will give me the opportunity to, to talk to people. Uh, yeah, it'd be a shame to, I mean, yours is, there's very few, there are very few people on the planet who, who can share the kinds of things you can share. So it's, um, it's very, very good. I'm very excited. And people, look, do you see this comment yeah. from our user here uh, uh, in the chat, Ambu? Thank you for the very nice uh, message there. Okay, thank you. Bye, everybody. Have Bye. A day. Thank you. A beautiful podcast is produced by me, Josh Long. I do these podcasts because I believe that everything we do in software is for and made better by people. I want to hear from you. I'm Josh at joshlong.com by email or at S-T-A-R-B-U-X-M-A-N on Twitter, where, of course, my direct messages are wide open. 
Do you have guest ideas, topic suggestions, feedback? Don't hesitate to reach out. If you like the show, then please consider rating it on iTunes and leaving a review, uh, as it really helps the show. I sampled music from Steve Combs's Them from Morning and Springtime and Steve Combs's Small Victory, both of which are licensed under a Creative Commons license. I'm trying to hire production assistants to make the production of this podcast easier. I want to make sure that we can add things like show notes and transcripts and, and just generally do more. If you would like to advertise on the show, then please reach out to me. Uh, and if you can't uh, or don't want to advertise but would like to otherwise support the show, then please consider supporting me at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Josh Long for as low as $4 a month. Thanks again. No harm came to any seasons in the making of this podcast.